0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my guest today, Sahar Wertheimer, is a reproductive endocrinologist who terminated a pregnancy due to severe medical issues with the fetus. You may not want young children listening to this episode, and you may find it difficult to listen to this conversation if you've experienced any kind of pregnancy loss. Also, in case you don't know, the word halacha or halakhik means Jewish law. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's be impactful. A show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rivky Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a reproductive endocrinologist about her medical and halachic abortion. She shares the story of what happened, how her medical background helped her avoid shame, what pregnancy was like post-termination, and what she wishes we all knew about what she went through. I first heard of the concept of a halachic abortion, that is, one permitted under Jewish law, from an article Avi Talch's and Goldschmidt wrote on the topic in 2017. I guess it had just never occurred to me that such a thing could exist. When Sahar Wertheimer went public about her own experiences with pregnancy termination, I knew that her unique perspective, both as a doctor in the reproductive space and as a patient was one that needed to be heard. As a
1: little kid, um, probably my mom would say difficult, (laughs) uh, bossy, spicy, um, all those things. Um, but, uh, I, I, um, I remember always being very active and wanting to um, always be uh, engaged and never bored. And I think that that part of my personality is still shining through. I don't know how to sit still. Um, I just had a baby and here we are on a podcast. <laughs> so, that, that's kind of the theme.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's I, I can definitely relate to the always moving, not not knowing where, where to start. Um, yeah. I found, I, I, discovered you, I guess you could say, um, through, uh, my friend, Dr. Lerner, um, who has also been uh, a guest on the podcast and yeah. she, I, I, I want to jump right in because this is such a loaded topic. Um, yeah. you are also a reproductive endocrinologist, um, as, as she is. Um, and I presume that's how, you, how you got to know each other. And, um, you, she, she posted something about, um, you, you terminating a pregnancy, um, having what, having basically an abortion, um, that was medically necessary. Um, normally I would talk a lot, we would talk a lot more about how you got to where you are today, but I feel like this topic is so big and I don't want this to be a two hour long conversation. So I'd love to just jump right into that. Um, just what, what, what happened? What, what was that like?
1: Yeah, so um so like you mentioned I'm I'm actually in my third year of fellowship so I'll be starting next year to be um, to work as a reproductive endocrinologist in fertility and what that means is that I've done a residency in obstetrics and gynecology. So I think that um, my perspective on the whole situation was kind of unique because it was through those lens, somebody trained in that way. Um, you know, people always ask me, are you more anxious, because, like when I'm pregnant, for example, because you're an OBGYN and you know what can go wrong? And I actually think, you know, it's it actually calms me a lot because um, I think when you know this, the breadth of what can happen and you know what is... Um, what is so rare? What is less likely to happen? And even though we see horrible things happen commonly, you know, to us, it's common, but in the rest of the world, we know it's actually rare and and most likely not going to happen to young and healthy people. So you kind of have a good, um, you kind of have good context for everything that happens. So I think that when I um, got diagnosed when my fetus was diagnosed with a severe neural tube defect, it kind of shook my world because I was like, you know, I do everything right. I eat my prenatal vitamins. I take my folic acid. How is this happening to me? Um, And in that respect, I guess, ever since then, I've been pretty anxious because, you know, you think bad news can skip you and then you realize bad news doesn't skip you just because you're a doctor um, or just because you're young and healthy. So basically um, what happened was uh, it was taking me a few months to get pregnant. I don't want to say I had uh, diagnosed infertility or anything like that. It was just taking me much longer than I expected and um, my cycles were not regular. So I started using um, letrozole, which is a medication we use in fertility to help you um, ovulate. So um, I did a couple cycles of that and then I finally got pregnant. I was Really ecstatic, um, and uh, I, I guess I—I I don't know if I—I I was just so anxious because I didn't think it would take me so long, or maybe I felt some sort of guilt over taking medication. I don't know, um, and. Uh, from the very beginning, I was pretty anxious about that pregnancy. I remember once I called my mom and I, and I, oh, I remember when I was working at the fertility clinic. So at the fertility clinic, we have access to transvaginal ultrasounds and monitoring and texts. And I took advantage of that and I was getting somebody to scan me every day, I think. Um, And um, one time they scanned me and I forgot what my dating was. And I thought that the baby was measuring a week small and I just totally freaked out. I called my mom and my mom, was worried about me and then I'm like oh wait I'm actually this many weeks and it was like a fake out (laughs) um and then uh I I, that's just to kind of give you an idea of (laughs) what kind of anxiety I was already working with at a baseline and then basically I had been um I had, I had pushed off my pregnancy um, to, oh, I had pushed off trying to get pregnant um, because we have this really huge test as an OB, as OBGYNs in our second year out of residency called the oral boards. We take a written boards and then um, a year later we take an oral boards. Oral boards is a huge deal. Um, It's a three hour test. You fly to Dallas, um, you prepare for it basically your entire OBGYN career. Um, You know, if you've ever seen Grey's Anatomy where people are like, they, they call it pimping the um, uh, the younger residents or fellows this is all in preparation and surgical specialties of your oral boards where you get asked on the spot what kind of management you would do and have to be able to answer clearly and well so um, I, I was studying for this test for about three months while I was pregnant and nauseous um, and just telling myself be thankful that you are pregnant you know the timing didn't work out the way you wanted but um, but this is what you wanted, and um, kind of got through a few hard months like that. And then the, the day before I was supposed to fly to Dallas, I was uh, scheduled for my uh, for my first trimester screen, and I went in, and um, they were having a really hard time getting good pictures of the fetus, and um, and I I really thought it was because of the position of the fetus. I didn't think it was anything that had to do with its defect, but. Um, then I saw there's like this little, uh, what looked like a thin line coming out of the brain, but for some reason I thought it was maybe the amniotic sac. I don't know. I, had te- I kept telling myself I'm being too anxious. Just relax. Unless they tell me something's wrong, everything's fine. And then um, it took a while for the high-risk doctor to come in and review the images with me, and she's actually somebody who was prepping me for my boards. We had done some fake tests earlier that week. And she basically came in and said, I have some really bad news for you. And then my stomach just dropped. And I, I knew that it was whatever I was seeing coming out of the brain. And, um, she basically told me you have a very, uh, rare neural tube defect. It's called an occipital encephalocele, basically like, um, uh, I guess herniation of the brain contents out of the back of the brain. Um, And then she went on to tell me if she thought it was syndromic, which means, do I think, does she think it was something genetic with the fetus or did, was it just like a bad luck? (laughs) And essentially they thought it was just bad luck. It wasn't linked to anything else, which is good news and bad news. Um, And uh, why would that
0: be, why would that be bad news? Because I would assume that if it's something, the worst news would be, wait, this is something genetic. This is something you need to worry about with, you know, future pregnancies.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And um, yeah, genetic means bad because you have to worry about it with future pregnancies. But there is technology usually that we can overcome things like that with. um, So you can have a good outcome. And I guess the isolated um, instances make you worried, is this going to happen again? Is this something we don't know about what's causing it? Because even though we think it's not syndromic, there may be something else that we just don't know about um, that may be causing it or something beyond our level of detection. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I totally
1: hear that. So what happens after you get that news? So then she was telling me about the prognosis of the the fetus and it it just sounded horrible. She basically used, um, words telling me that, um, in the best case scenario, it was still really, really bad. So immediately I knew what I wanted to do, (laughs) um, which was, I, I knew immediately I wanted to terminate it, but obviously, you know, as a Orthodox Jew, that's not, Incredibly simple. So um, I was just trying to gather information. I called my husband, got him on the line, um, and he's a little bit uh, more likes to process, take things slowly, doesn't jump to conclusions about what we should do. And that was driving me crazy too. (laughs) And basically, I went home and we called um, a rev who I, I commonly call for my medical, like for my patients, what should I do or am I allowed to do this? And he wanted to gather more information on the syndrome or on the, I shouldn't call it a syndrome, um, on the neural tube defect. Cause it's not very common. It's very rare. And before I knew it, I had like the head of one of the hospitals in New York's neuroradiology calling me, um, and, um, telling me, you know, this rev called me, he wants to know more about it. Can you send me the images? So I sent the images to a bunch of professionals. They all agreed it was really bad. Um, but, I think they thought I was coming, they automatically assumed I was coming from the angle of wanting to know if I can keep it. And, um, and so they were like recommending more tests that I could do. And ultimately I had to just, and I think this is where my OBGYN kind of medical background knowledge came in. And I said, you know, all these tests aren't going to change the prognosis. It's a really bad prognosis. So um, what I want to know is, can I terminate? And I think that that is really important. for patients to kind of know how to talk to their um, rabbis and also know how to talk to their medical professionals. Like they need to be clued in on where is your brain? What do you want? um, How can they help you get the information that you need to get? And being somebody who's been on the other side of that, I knew that that's kind of where they were going wrong.
0: (laughs) Right. You were able to, to, to realize that the direction that they were steering you in was not those were they were answering the wrong questions no you yeah. know you weren't being specific enough about the questions that you were asking so they were answering those wrong questions right. um, can i ask what the best case scenario was for that fetus
1: uh best case scenario was that it was going to be um severely disabled um and would need multiple like therapy modalities um was probably not going to be able to function on its own um worst case scenario was that it was going to either die in utero or die quickly after it was born. Right. Um, which is
0: awful on, you know, all, all of those are, are awful outcomes. Yeah. So yeah. once, once you make your wishes known, you say, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to go to term with this. What were your, what, what, what were the next steps? How, to, how far along were you at that point also?
1: It was 13 weeks. Um, and, um, my next steps really were to wait, but I was really, I was really pretty confident to be honest with you that from my knowledge of this rabbi and my knowledge of his medical literacy that he was going to say it was okay to terminate. Um, but I just needed to hear it. Cause I had this, I was flying to Dallas the next day for my test. I just couldn't believe the timing of everything. Um, and the anxiety was just through the roof.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um, so of course. Yeah. And he did not call me back that day. He really took his time. I flew to Dallas, um, and landed and was in the hotel and was thinking, I just need a massage. <laughs> and um, I'm sitting there trying to book my massage and uh, finally got a call back from the rabbi. And I can't even begin to tell you the relief that he gave me in that moment was probably better than my um, Ritz Carlton massage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, but I'm sure the massage was also fantastic. It was, it was, it was helpful. I won't yeah. lie. how the, how'd the test go? <laughs> um the test went well I passed thank you and I really I told Hashem I was like you know one thing at a time help me pass this test so I can deal with the next thing I can't have two things on my plate
0: right what of course we we all have those conversations with God so you pass the test and then you you go you go home I presume and how what happens next
1: Yeah. So when I was, um, so one part that I wrote about in that article is really the the conflicting feelings that you have, you know, you have this life inside of you and you were, you were feeling so connected to it. And at the same time, you know, you want to terminate it and um, it's, you know, it could really make me cry even right now on the spot. It's, it's really a horrible feeling, but you feel like you're betraying life inside of you. You feel like, I know I'm going to terminate you. I'm just sustaining you in the meantime. And um, you know, it makes, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good as somebody who, you know, has maternal instincts. And um, the time that they had given me to do my termination was going to be a week later because that's when there was operating room time. Um, But I got very lucky and I bumped into one of our family planning specialists. And those are the doctors that help you do terminations. Um, She had been a board examiner on this test that I was at in Dallas for. She's also from the hospital I work at. And she basically said, I I told her what happened when I saw her and she was like, let me work on this for you. And within 20 minutes came back and said, I got you time in the operating room tomorrow. And um, that was the second big relief of, uh, of the week. Um, It was really such a chesed or a kindness that somebody could have done to me to, um, to know what I needed the most for my mental health in that moment. I did my residency in the Bronx. We had a very robust family planning rotation there. And, um, and uh, I just remember so often we would book patients for um, their terminations and we always offered them, depending on their gestational age, if they wanted an in-office procedure or if they wanted to do it in the operating room. And the benefit to doing it in the operating room is that you have good anesthesia um, and you don't have to feel anything. So um, a lot of them would book, would want the operating room. And I just remember thinking like, um, like, what would I ever do if I was in this situation? Um, would I want to do it right away um, here in the office with no anesthesia, or would I want to wait a week to do it with anesthesia in the operating room? And it's just—it's unfortunate, I think, that um, that we have limited access to care in certain areas and limited time and, and um, resources that patients need to be put in this position. And you know, you always, when you go through it yourself, feel feel it a lot more. Right. Um- so
0: the is is the procedure like surgical is it just taking a pill like what what does that in what does that involve
1: yeah so um there are different ways to have terminations and it depends mostly on your gestational age what options are available to you so if you're very early on you can take a pill and um, it will basically cause your uterus to contract and expel the contents or you can do an in-office procedure, this is still for early gestational ages, an in-office procedure called a manual vacuum aspiration, MVA, and that can be done in the office. They'll give you some local anesthetics, meaning some injection at at your cervix, Um, but you won't be asleep, and they can basically suction the contents of the pregnancy out that way. Or alternatively, you can have a surgical procedure, which would be in the operating room with with, um, better anesthesia where you're asleep, and um, they'll use a suction curette and um, suction out the pregnancy. If you're very far along, like second trimester abortions, um, those require something called a dilation and evacuation, a DNE. And, and the DNE will, um, depending again on the um, gestational age of the fetus, use some suction, but also um, may need to, some manual removal using tools that the um, surgeons have to remove fetal parts.
0: Right. So you have, you, it, how's a DNA different from a DNC, by the way?
1: So the DNC is just suction. Um, got it. and the DNA could involve, um, could involve those tools to remove fetal parts. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's got good. it. That's yeah. Cause one. no, cause I've
0: heard of a DNC following miscarriage, but I had yeah. never heard of the other one. Yeah. Um, so you have the procedure. Yeah. What happens next?
1: Um, yeah, so so I had the procedure and, um, just, yeah, a lot of grief.
0: (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure.
1: A lot of like, just waking up, like, is this really happening? Was this a bad dream? Um, and, uh, thank God a lot. I had a lot of support, have good family here. My, all my family was very supportive, but I really just didn't want to talk to anybody for a few days. Oh my gosh. just brings me back. I just want to cry right now. (laughs) Um, but I just didn't want to talk to anybody for a few days, uh, kind of, um, and then, you know, it's, it's the grief over what you lost and it's also the anxiety over, um, am I going to be able to achieve pregnancy again?
0: Right. Yeah. That's, and, he- and a healthy one. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, I, I don't know how I would react in that situation. I don't, I, I, I give you credit for not being a complete puddle right now. Cause I'm on the verge yeah. of it. Um, <laughs> This is, it's a charged topic. There's a lot of, there's a lot of emotions involved, obviously, as someone who went through it, that, that experience is, I'm sure, hellish and not anything that, that, you know, you would, you wish no one would have to go through that. And then the, the topic as a whole is one that people get very, very passionate about. And you know, there's, there's lots of political implications. I yeah. mean, there, there are some countries I presume in, the, in where the procedure that you had is not legal. Right. Um, and that would not have been an option to you. Right. Um, and then, and then there's also the the religious aspect on top of that, where, you know, it's funny because I think that it's not funny. It's, it's strange, but that the, you know, um, I I heard from someone who said, you know, I'm, I'm pro-life but that also means that I'm pro-full life and sometimes the the best thing that you can do to be pro-life is to terminate a pregnancy Mm -hmm. um where
1: an interesting yeah that's definitely an interesting spin on it and again what we were saying about these these terms being so politically charged it could mean so much for so many different people but because um unfortunately, politicians kind of made these things belong to certain parties or made these things belong to certain belief sets But come along with other things that have nothing to do with abortion or women's health. Um, People hear a phrase and automatically assume a whole meaning behind it.
0: Right. And that's, and and that's where things get, get tricky because you want to say like, oh, I'm, you know, if it, it almost means that like, oh, if you're, um, liberally minded fiscally that means that you're also killing babies left and right which is what like people people might think which is i personally i don't think that that's true i can't i can't imagine that it's a situation that anyone takes lightly whether it's because they're terminating because of a medical issue or because you know they're a teenager or the pregnancy is inconvenient for whatever reason i can't imagine that that's a, a decision that anybody takes lightly um and I'm curious.
1: No, I will say I've had a lot of a, a lot of patients in the Bronx that electively aborted because of unfortunate mishaps with birth control, and we need to do better with contraception in general. Not one of them was ever laughing when they got their abortion. It is not right. easy or, you know, pleasurable for anybody.
0: Right, it's not it's not a it's not a simple thing. And that's also it's exactly what you said like about contraception. You can't be you can't say you can't have an abortion. That's the worst thing that you can do and then also make it really hard to get the pill or make yep. it really complicated to get proper sex ed to know Absolutely. when when something, you know, when you need to be careful, when you need to be like all of those things. You can't have it both ways. And to me, I find it almost I mean it's almost comical that some of the people who politically would be against who would consider themselves pro-life would also be anti funding contraception which it just doesn't make sense
1: um you know for orthodox jews our values are our religious principles and it's kind of unimaginable to me that you know as jews we think of our laws as being sometimes restrictive or more restrictive than the societal norms and it seems almost weird to me that you know my rabbi is going to let me have an abortion and you're not <laughs> you know um, but I, I do think that um, the unfortunate reality is that people equate Orthodox um, Judaism with other um, more, more restrictive religions and you know we have a very rich history of Jewish law and how Jewish law is debated amongst different sages and our Jewish law code is very complex it's um, it's analogous to the way that the um, US legal system works where you know there's not one thing that says something and it's unquestioned by everybody and there's no other opinions etc. So um, to kind of get that rep, I, I was I was kind of trying to also um, bring awareness to the fact that it's it's complex for us as Jews. And if you're somebody who thinks that um, I can just call myself pro life and stand by pro life, whatever that means, you you really are uneducated.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. I was even um, I was speaking with um, with a friend that I have who um, is Roman Catholic. Um, just because with all of the Supreme court stuff that is going on now, I, I had heard someone say somewhere that like, if, you know, if, if Amy Coney Barrett gets, um, what's the thing confirmed, then IVF is going to become illegal. And I was like, wait, what, 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 what is, what are they even talking about? I had never, you know, coming from an Orthodox Jewish background where, you know, there's this, I, I think that it's also because we prioritize Family, We prioritize, you know, if there's something that you want to do to make it simpler for yourself to get pregnant, almost everything is fine.
1: Right. And wouldn't you call that pro-life? Right, exactly. It's like, it's oh, the most pro-life that exactly. you could possibly be. Exactly. Pro-or-vu is literally the terminology in the Bible used to... Um, what we use to justify all of this, right. and to be fruitful and multiply. I mean, you can't get more pro-life than that, but, um, mm-hmm. but pro-life. Right. Is-
0: and then, yeah. And then someone had said something like, Oh, sh- yeah. IVF is going to become illegal because, right. um, you know, in, in the Roman Catholic religion, it's like anything that, that interferes between like a natural way of, of, you know, becoming pregnant. And if you, and if you can't get pregnant naturally, then that is your cross to bear. And personally, that's something that I think, I think that if that were how I grew up and if that were my, challenge that that is something that I would have a a problem with um I don't I don't think that that's something that I would um that I would be able to hold up but then again I don't I don't know I've never been Catholic um and when it you know when it when it comes to all of these things it's 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 I don't know it's it's so strange to me when when government gets involved in these super personal decisions
1: the gravity of that decision is so huge. And the different life paths that it leads you on, whether to terminate or to not terminate, is so vastly different. And it weighs a lot on people. You know, Um, there are much more gray areas than the one I, I mean, in my opinion, that I encountered. You know, I've heard of, for example, twins, and should I terminate one to save the other? And um, if I don't terminate, they might not have total disabled they may not die but they may be very disabled like you know there's there's so many gradations and um so much in between and so much ultimately that's unknown that we just don't know until we until we confront it so it's just such a um it's really a heavy decision and it, and it weighs heavily on women who have to make those decisions
0: right if there if there is someone listening now who Maybe recently has had to make a decision like that, or is currently grappling with a decision like that. Um, What is something that you would tell her?
1: Um, You know, if that's a woman that it almost in in a way sometimes I think having those um, religious authorities or some sort of set of rules kind of sets you free in a sense that um, it can give you some guidance. But if you have no such body and you're just kind of trying to decide. I think ultimately you sit and you think about what am I going to regret less or, um, you know, what it, what are my capabilities? What is my mental health capacity? Um, what, what other children do I have? What do those children require of me? Um, and, and, you know, the guilt really, we have to, we have to let go a little bit of the guilt, um, and, and really try and make the best decisions for ourselves.
0: Do you think that, that you've done that, that you've let go of the guilt? Did you ever feel ashamed about the decision that you made?
1: I never felt ashamed. And I think that that comes from my medical background and understanding what gravity I was dealing with and how accepted and um, how uh, common my situation could be. Um, and also from, I guess, the fact that I had asked a rabbi and he had sanctioned it, it kind of helped me a little bit, but um, I will not say there's zero guilt. There's, there's always a little t- twinge of guilt. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you're stopping potential for life, which um, uh, comes back to haunt you. And it, I've seen it haunt lots of my patients, you know, um, in all kinds of situations that got abortions for all sorts of reasons. It's just not, it's not easy. Right. Um, where, I'm like, my brain is
0: moving in 15 million different directions right now. Cause it's the kind of thing where you can't help, but wonder what you would do in that situation. And yet at the same time, you just are like just hoping and praying that you're not in that situation.
1: I guess what I'm trying to do is allow for, um, for people to understand that, you know, everybody's going to have their own personal, um, list of priorities and their list of capabilities and um, their list of ethics, it's just different for every woman. And I, I can't pretend to know what that is for somebody else and how it's going to affect her life. Um, And that's, I think we all, you know, you were saying, were you ashamed? And I was thinking to myself, thank God, no, I wasn't ashamed. But Can I tell you how many women messaged me after I posted about my termination and told me that they hadn't told anybody that they got a halophically sanctioned termination because they were ashamed? And I just think that is so unfortunate, you know? Right. To do better. Right. We we
0: can definitely do better, especially when it comes to these things where, you know, there are so many women who think that they're the only ones or who think that um or you know, who are who are too nervous to even bring it up because what are they gonna think? Um, was that the reason why you decided to go public with it?
1: Yeah, it really was. I, I was so you know, I'm part of um, JOMA. It's Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We have a chat of all these female Orthodox doctors, and people were discussing the whole overturning of Roe v. Wade versus not, and it was just becoming clear that the um, that the uh, the orth- a lot of Orthodox Jews don't really understand what that even means, and people just think that they have to be pro life or they have to be this or they have to be that. People don't really understand. There's such a thing as um, even medical terminations or even the halachically sanctioned abortions they didn't even know about. And, um, I kind of felt like, you know, this is maybe not why I went through it, but, um, maybe there's, this was some positive that could come out of it is really just, I am not ashamed of what I did. I feel like everything I did was in line with my value system and belief system. And I just wanted to put it out there because, um, other women go through this. And the last thing you need when you're feeling so much um, grief and isolation and anxiety is to also feel judged and not be able to talk about it.
0: Right. No, for, for sure. I love the fact that, that your baby is in the background right now. Cause I, I do feel like we should say that, that there is a, yeah. I don't, I don't want to say that it's a happy ending to the story, uh, but you are on maternity leave right now.
1: I am. Thank God. You know, um, there's, there yeah, I will. I hope everybody can be as lucky. And if not, come see your reproductive endocrinologist will help you out. <laughs> but, um, but thank God this, it is much easier to speak about what happened Um, from the context of now having had a healthy, thank God, thank God, thank God, baby. Um, It's, it's, it's much easier to speak about. Yeah.
0: Right. I'm sure. What was, what was that second pregnancy like?
1: Yeah, I I think about this a lot. The second pregnancy was full of anxiety, totally unlike my first pregnancy. My first pregnancy, I was um, a resident. I was working 80 hours a week, not sleeping, but I was blissful about that pregnancy. I didn't think anything was going to happen to it. Um, It didn't bother me if I was feeling pain. I knew it could be A, B, or C. Um, This pregnancy, every little thing. I often joke with my husband, and I hope to post this on Instagram soon, but, um, you know, my doctor's side and my human side are very different. you know my doctor's side is always about evidence based medicine evidence based this what are the statistics, yada 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 as a patient, I just like uh, total <laughs> um, <laughs> just total emotion roller coaster and um not not in touch with my other side um actually, with this pregnancy, there was a point where they said to me. Um, I actually had my very good friend who's a a high-risk doctor um, in training. She um, did my ultrasounds for me because she knew I was so anxious. And, you know, the texts don't tell you what you're seeing. So I always wanted a doctor to do my scan so they could tell me what they're seeing because I didn't want to go through that again. Um, But... um, Uh, she told me once, you know, the femurs are measuring a little small and I'm like, what's small? What does that mean? What percentile? And she's like, well, they're this percentile. And I'm like, oh, that's really bad. That's really small. And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to measure the arms now. So she starts measuring the arms and they're measuring really small. And my like stomach is just flipping and I'm starting to cry. And I'm like, I can't have made it this far for you to give me bad news again. Um, And and she got it, you know, like she wanted to reassure me, but she also didn't want to give me a hundred percent reassurance. And I had to live with that information that her limbs were measuring small. And this was past being able to terminate. I mean, I wasn't thinking about terminating because they didn't think it was, um, they, this was a different scenario, but I'm just trying to say that, um, I, you know, the anxiety that I lived with and like the, the, the moment where she was trying to reassure me and bring in a different ultrasound tech and bring in another attending to tell me it wasn't a big deal, I'm thinking to myself, no, 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 no. I know how this ends. I know how this ends. You can't reassure me.
0: Right. Yeah. I've, I've read this book already.
1: Yes. I, I know exactly. I know how this ends.
0: Right. And, and, and it didn't end that way. And now, and, and you're, you're holding a little baby while we're talking. Exactly. Which, um,
1: no, we don't know everything in medicine. We, we suspect things, but we also know, you know, like all, all of them were telling me this could be nothing. This could be ultrasound error, you know, but your mind goes to the worst place.
0: Right. Yeah. Of, of course it does. Especially how much, how much time was there between um when you terminated and when you were pregnant again?
1: Um. Uh, 3 months. Yeah, thank God this time it didn't take me as long to get pregnant the second
0: That's time. so stressful.
1: The 3 months I... were very stressful. Yeah, you know, I think to myself, "Thank God it was only 3 months and I didn't go through the same amount of trying as the first time." But um but I every time you wake up and you get your period, I mean, you see this on all the fertility blogs, it's a panic attack. It is. It's yeah. Like, oh my god. It's never going to happen. So.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's all of that, but also it's it's. I I can only imagine that like three months after having gone through that termination, did you did you immediately start trying again? Did you immediately just jump right back into it?
1: I gave myself a month off, um, and uh, then I yes, then I immediately started trying again because I felt like nothing was going to make me feel better than to move on to a new pregnancy, and that was my personal like knowing myself personally. I know for other people it's not that way.
0: Right, and that and that was just a cho- a choice that you made. Yes. Wow, I can't imagine. Like to me, it would. I I mean, it, you're probably still processing the the termination, and then to to also have been pregnant and to have had a baby. It's just it's a lot of emotions. It's
1: It's it's a lot, a lot of emotions. And, you know, especially like when I was at the gestational ages where I received the bad news, or even when I was pregnant, um, I was at the beginning of my pregnancy and I passed the due date of my first pregnancy. You never get over it. I mean, I even think, even now with a healthy baby, thank God, I still think to myself, like, you know, I was supposed to be due in May or I was supposed to be, you know, this, or I was supposed to be that. Um, You really never, I don't think you ever fully get over it, but it definitely gets um, easier to deal with.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, I definitely hear that. Mm -hmm. What, what, if there was something that you could, you know, this is not something that a lot, that a majority of women are going to experience. This is not something, um, this is not something that I think most women are even going to experience, but I think it's also pretty likely that everyone has someone in their life, whether they know it or not, who has who has had an experience maybe not exactly to you, like yours, but similar to yours, what what do you wish the 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 general public knew? What do you wish um what do you wish someone someone like me who has never had experience with this could um would know about your experience and about relating to someone who may have had this and maybe maybe you know, maybe you don't.
1: You know, I would say that actually, yes, you're right, that the majority of women are not going to go through something like this. But I would almost argue it's way more common than we think. And a lot of women that we do know are going to go through this, unfortunately. And if it's not this, it might be miscarriage, God forbid. But these are, these are common life events. If you think about how complex pregnancy is and how many things have to go right, it's really a miracle how many times things do go right. So this is something that some the person sitting next to you may have experienced and you wouldn't know. And so we all, I I think, if there was one thing that I wanted to impart or change, is really the judgment factor. I really um, would like people to understand the pain that people that women go through with miscarriages, with terminations. Um, It's not simple at all. Um, even the word elective, like an elective abortion, what what is elective? What does that mean? What circumstances made this feel quote unquote elective for that female? I'm I'm guessing there were some circumstances that made it feel very not elective for that woman, you know. So the terminology, the politicization of it, is that the right way to say that? I think so. Um, that really, when we're talking about our fellow women that are going through life events. We have to get rid of all of that. We have to get rid of all the um, stigma and the stereotypes, and just see her for a woman who's going through a difficult time period and support her, however we can. Because I think ultimately the most important thing is that she maintains her mental capacity, that she feels supported and is able to, um, however she decides to handle her her obstacles, that she is able to get through it. And this this can ruin a lot of women. And it it um, you know, if it's guilt if it's um making the decision that they later regret if it's um you know feeling like nobody understands them and they're traumatized it's just it's it it can be life-changing um so that's really what i was i was just trying to get across like let's not let's not um let's not attach uh political connotations to things let's not attach a whole nother personality to a female just because of the choices she makes. Let's just try to um, support her and we don't need to understand why she did it. We don't need to know how far along she was when something happened to her. We don't need to justify that it's not going to happen to us. We just need to be there. We need to be there and we need to, our judgment needs to be gone.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I totally hear that. And I think that it's just, you know, this could apply to a lot of things where it's when someone is in, what is an awful situation no matter how that turns out it's awful and to just to just approach with some kindness when someone is in you know such an awful place
1: totally i think you know i think that's really putting our again like putting things in perspective putting things in context especially as as jews we are taught from the very beginning, you know, how to love your fellow Jew like yourself, how to not judge your fellow Jew, how to um, be somebody who has just free love for everybody, and then we forget that because we there's more minutia of Jewish law that we think may conflict with what she's doing, what she's not. We have to remember, you know, what are our priorities, what are our goals, and um, and then the rest is kind of secondary.
0: Yeah, one one hundred percent. If somebody wants to hear more from you, Sahar, where can they go?
1: You can follow me on my new Instagram handle, at Sahar Wertheimer, MD. I hope to be sharing kind of uh, uh, personal experiences, what it's like to be a doctor as a female, um, as a female as a mom, as an Orthodox Jew, and also um, to spread kind of more education and awareness um, about women's health issues.
0: I will say that I, I truly enjoy following you, and I always learn something. Um, yeah. And I'm and I'm I'm so glad that we had the chance to have this conversation. Um, and I hope that I hope that there's if there's even one person here, you know, listening to this who maybe had to go through something like this. I hope that this gave them a little bit of comfort.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. It is impactful.
0: Yes, I <laughs> hope so. That's I'm gonna a, I'm gonna, a, gonna end podcast. off with exactly that's what we try to do here. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna end off with the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Sahar. What does it mean to make an impact?
1: That's a great question. Such a simple question, but yet so so packed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think that um, you know every person that you can help is um, an impact. And so I would not think of it so much on the scale as much as um, the fact that we were able to make a difference for one person. I really, really believe is worth it. Um, And um, my personal goals in being impactful in my career have been to promote women's um, health education so that women can be their own um, advocates. And um, if we can help one woman know to see her doctor sooner and so she has not wasted away um years, you know, that's to me that's an impact. Um and uh I want to know about Sheva Maslow well learner answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty similar. <laughs> I'll send you I'll
0: send you the link to her to her episodes. I'll also put it in the show notes so if anyone wants to see her can, yeah, yeah. can do that. Yeah, so was, yeah, skip all the way to the end. That's That's where
1: it is. Let's say to make a difference in people's lives and that changes it for better.
0: Thank you so much for coming on Sahar. That's fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Sahar, her links are in the show notes along with any other articles or episodes we've mentioned. There, you'll also find links to the coziest scarf and the most comfortable mask. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Eltskowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.